Okay, okay, okay. Welcome to the Mountain Church Podcast. Uh, my name is Samuel Goulet, and I'll be hosting a discussion today with the wonderful, honored, and the city-beloved pastor, uh, Pastor Mike Hatch. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Wonderful to be here, brother. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about yourself, because not everyone feels comfortable talking about themselves, but I'll tell okay. them a little bit Okay. that you've had a reputation that's been beautiful in the city. Um that of unity, prayer, uh, you pastor a church uh, directly, of course, yourself, um, but really respected in the city uh, as a man of prayer and as a man of unity. Uh, so I thought it would be really beautiful. We were going to have coffee today, yeah. and I said, let's let's talk yeah. on a podcast. Yeah. Let's air yeah. some of yeah. our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm really curious, <clears throat> and I'm really interested in what you represent uh, uh, in heart and as a symbol in the city. <clears throat> And uh, we're doing a church culture theme okay. uh, this month, and so I wanted to talk to you about church culture. And the first question I wanted to ask yourself, or I wanted to ask you, was, uh, what has been your experience with the many church cultures in the aspect of unity? Well, one of the things that that so I'll go back a little bit and deal with how this all started for me, and it'll give you. A background to where context, yeah, yeah, where all this is. <clears throat> I grew up in Washington D.C., born and raised. <clears throat> excuse me, in Washington D.C. Are you a Wizards fan? Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? No. Okay, good. Yeah, there no. you go. I mean, I, actually, I, I'm a We're Warriors awesome. fan. Ooh. I'm a Warriors fan. I'm wow. a big time Warriors fan. Once they selected Steph Curry, I, I believe in the underdog. And yeah. once they selected Steph Curry, I've been a fan ever since. Really? Now, but I am a, a diehard Washington Redskins fan. Oof. And I'm a diehard Washington Nationals fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it is, man. You know, when, when you when you really are diehard for anything or anybody, you go with them through the ups and through the downs. Now we have won three Super Bowls. <laughs> you know, we won three Super Bowls. So it's been a while, but you know, uh, but the Wizards. I I mean, see, I don't like the name Wizards. Right. I don't like that name. Right. Now, when they were the Bullets, they won the championship. In 1978, <laughs> they won the championship as the Bullets. Yeah. Now, when they changed the name to the Wizards, I just, I don't yeah. like that. I'm out. You yeah. died hard, but you died. <clears throat> yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with that. <laughs> so, I was born and raised there. And what it is, is I was born and raised there. I was born in the 60s. I was born in 1960. <clears throat> and during that time, Washington, D.C. was known. There was actually an album that came out called Chocolate City. And they represented blacks. Because Washington was at that time was between eighty five and eighty seven percent African American. Yeah. <clears throat> so with that being said, we didn't get, white people didn't come in our neighborhoods. You know, they just didn't. We went. I didn't grow up in a poor neighborhood. I didn't grow up, you know, in, in the projects or anything like that. Uh, but in middle class America, or lower upper class, lower middle class, you know, the whites just didn't. They didn't come to the community. Well, what happened was my grandmother, my sweet little grandmother, ran the numbers back during that time. She was part of the mafia, the Italian mafia. My sweet little grandmother wow. was part of the Italian mafia. <clears throat> All we knew is that every day at four o'clock. Nobody could get on the telephone. And that meant because people right now, and so what the, what the numbers is, is really the lottery. It's no different than the lottery. It's just that the, the lottery is legal. The numbers was illegal. But it's the exact same thing. It's, just, it's what made Al Capone all of his money. Al Capone made most of his money running the numbers. So what happened, instead of people going to play numbers at the store, they called my grandmother every day. And so at 4 o'clock, between 4 and 5, she'd be on the phone taking numbers. And when the number would hit, it would come out in the newspaper. Whatever the number was, she would do the one that would do the payout. So she was the one that they would call into. Well, anyway, what happened was every month there was a guy named Whitehead Billy who would come in our neighborhood to pick up the money, you know, for, for the mob. And so um, when he would pull in our neighborhood, now here's this white man in a white Cadillac, excuse me, 
would pull up in front of our house, and when he would pull up, everybody would come outside and look like, what's this white dude doing in our neighborhood? You know, but he would, he would come and he was, Billy was like six foot seven, always wore all black, and before the mirrored frames came out, he wore mirrored glasses. This is in the seven, like 66, 67. So nobody would do anything to him because he was coming to the Hatch's house, yeah. uh, all white hair. And what would happen is when he would come to the house, first thing we'd do, before he met with my grandmother, he would ask, where's Michael and where's Alex? I'm Michael. Alex mm-hmm. is my uncle. With exact, I'm actually three months older than my uncle. Mm-hmm. So just try to imagine this. So he would ask, where's Mike, where's Al? And we'd come running down the steps. So imagine this. In 1967, I was seven years old. What he would do is give us $20. So try to imagine uh, $20. It's a fortune. To a seven-year-old. Yeah, it's a ton of money. In 1967. I did the, the present value on that. Yeah. It's about $252. <clears throat> That's the present value of $20 back then. Wow. So I was like, wait a minute, y'all. What's Ain't it? nothing wrong with white people. You know, white people are cool, man. Why, why, you know, why y'all down on white folks? Oh, they give you a fortune. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but what that did, I didn't even realize until I got saved. Later on, that God, what God was doing was breaking down prejudice in my heart at very, a young age. Very cool. Because <clears throat> I was the first, I dated a white girl, and I, I was the first person in our community dated a white girl. Yeah. Had a white girl come to my grandfather, looked at her like, you got a white girl in my house. It was like that. <clears throat> but you know, then I went to a white university. But what God was doing was just breaking down prejudice in my heart at a very young age. Wow. <clears throat> so what happened was in 1988 when I got saved, the first thing God brought to my attention was the division in the body of Christ. That was the first thing I saw. <clears throat> the first thing that came to my attention was how the body of Christ is divided. And... Uh, Paul said it like this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. Yeah. As he's broken down the middle wall of partition, yeah. you know, we have this, we, mm-hmm. we had the same, we rights with the Commonwealth of Israel, the whole nine yards. And I was like, but that's not really happening. No. So, something, something's wrong here. That This is not scriptural. <clears throat> so when I went to, I went to Bethany Bible College, okay, and when I went to Bethany Bible College, um, Dr. Stan Stewart had me do a paper on, the first one I did was on revival. So when I did my paper on revival, I found out that every revival that has ever taken place in history, Azusa Street, mm-hmm. the uh, the Upper Room. City Unity was a precedent. Well, no, no, the precedent was prayer. Uh, okay. It was always prayer. Every, every revival in history started in prayer. The Great Awakenings, the Great Enlightenment, Jonathan Edwards, George Mueller, those guys, it all started in prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that, that really got my, my wheels turning. And then after that, uh, God had me in 1992-93, he had me do a, a study on the 12 churches of Asia Minor. And this is what did it. So as I studied the 12 churches of Asia Minor, notice it says, to the angel of the church of Theatira, right. to the church of Pergamos, to the church of Sardis, gotcha. to the church of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. He's writing one letter to a whole city. Yep. One letter yep. to the whole city of Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah. the whole city of Sardis. Yeah. So when God looks at a city, he doesn't see First Baptist, Second Pentecostal, Third Episcopal. He sees one church. Uh, Pastor Randy Greer is a friend of mine. We had a, at Unity Press celebration. He asked a question to the whole group that was about 600 people. He says, how many churches do you think are in Las Vegas? Somebody said, 350. Somebody said, 200. He said, ah, one. <laughs> There's only one church in Las Vegas. That's jacked up. Pastors shouldn't do that to people. Yeah, he got him. He got him. Though. He got him good. I never call out <laughs> answers when a pastor asks. But you know something's up. I know it's a trick, man. <laughs> I know, know it's a trick. trick. Yeah, it, I it just was, mumble. Oh. Ooh, whatever. <laughs> something's up. 
<clears throat> the point was is that so all that being said, that was the background. And then in 2008, I called five, six pastors together. I said, look, man, you know what? Pastors that I knew understood the concept of kingdom, not my kingdom, not my church as the kingdom, but the kingdom of God. And I said, we need to do something. Our, our, we need revival. You know, our church is in disarray. There's division. I said, so we need to do something to try to bridge the gap of unity, that we become one, as the Bible said. I said, so why don't we start praying together every Saturday at a different church, and let's pray on the things we agree upon. And so we agreed that our nation's in trouble. We agreed that the church needs prayer, that the church needs to be unified, and that our city, you know, we need to pray for the city that we live in. So we agreed to pray for the church uh, at whole, including Israel. Our city and nation. City and nation, yeah. Cool. And church, city, nation. And so that started in 19, 2008 with five churches. Now there's 137 altogether that have participated. And so what we find is that one of the reasons that, that I wanted to be at a different church and the things we agree upon is simply because of church culture. Because what happens mm -hmm. is uh, people have a tendency to look at the way they worship as the only way to worship, the only way that you serve God. Yeah. And I said, you know what? My Lutheran brothers love God just as much as my Pentecostal brothers. My Baptist brothers love sure? God. I no, think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. You know, that there, there's, <laughs> there's a genuine love for God. Of course. You know, and, and we have a tendency to pass judgment, yeah. you know, on different worship styles because it's not my worship style. And so one of the things that, that I've looked to do is to bridge that gap to where, listen, we can appreciate the way the Episcopals worship, the Baptists worship, the Lutherans worship. And the fact that they're our brothers, just like everybody else. Yeah. And so what that's done is help break down a lot of those, some of the cultural differences um, in the body. Because now we have Pentecostal churches working with the Lutheran church. They're doing events together. They're yeah. doing outreaches together. Those things are important. Uh, but as a whole, obviously, and this is just one little aspect. But the, the, the problem just is that people have a tendency to look at their way or the way they were spiritually socialized as the only way to God. Mm. And I think that, you know, that has to change in order that we see the power of God demonstrated because no one church is going to really change a city. Right. No one church, no yeah. one fellowship yeah. is going to change a city. It's going to yeah. be because we unify. You know, when you think about the, the body has many members, yeah. you know, the members have different functions. Yeah. And so there may not be a prophet at that church, but there's a prophet to the body. Right. You know, and so I need I need to feel free to, hey, if that church has the, 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 the prophetic, I need to go be able to fellowship with that right. church and get what I need from God. And that's the way God set it up. It's really interesting because in concept, biblically, church unity should pretty much make sense. Yeah. To every type of church, it's not too hard like mentally you know the concept's not complicated not at all it's like what's the common ground we have common ground great let's do that but what i find really interesting is the while in concept that works there's another concept or other concepts that almost put that at like the back burner mm -hmm. of priority which i'm sure you've experienced in being a pivotal person in unity that the interest of builders and leaders and pastors for their community really does have them migrate away from efforts because it takes effort Yes, from efforts of unity. Right. And I've seen these mentalities. I've seen these ideas and I've also seen the masses express the ideals that the pastors have a concern over. Like for example, I'm, I'm a pastor now at the mountain for a year and a half, year and three quarters. And what I've become incredibly aware of is that when people come to the mountain for the first time, they don't know us. 
they're evaluating their connectivity to the church. Hmm. So they're evaluating the worship. Yeah. Do I like it? Yes. Do I like the music? Yes. Is it in yes. the style yes. and preference right. and those things? All these things are understandable, by the right. way. Right. Their history and their socialized spiritual experience. I get it. Then they're evaluating our clothing. They're evaluating the room. They're evaluating our brands. They're evaluating my age. Yep. Uh, they're evaluating the age of the people around them. And all of those things happen. And I think for the most part, those are huge, huge parts of how people determine who or where they will spend their spiritual time. Yes. And to me, it seems that those separate personalities can really be disruptive to the efforts of unity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you reconcile those things? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. I, I found that, um, well, first of all, what, what I've, the studies show, uh, the Barna Research Group and the Pew Research Group has shown, has, has determined that a person knows within the first seven minutes of walking into a sanctuary whether they're coming back or not. Right. Within the first seven minutes. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's just one, that's amazing to me. But <clears throat> the idea is that it, I think it all goes back to spiritual socialization. How I was socialized spiritually, it, it carries forth with me just throughout my whole spiritual experience until I'm educated, until my, I'm enlightened, until God gives me more light <clears throat> in certain areas. And you can think because of the fact, just it's almost it, go, it almost goes back to uh, prejudice. There's been racism and prejudice in the world since the beginning. Yeah, um, we go back to the you know to the Philistines, the Samaritans. It's always been one against the other. And I feel like, you know, the Philistines felt like they were right. You know, the Sumerians felt like they were right. You know, the Israelites, they were, well, we know they were right because God was with them. But yeah. the point is, is that, you know, um, they, they look at uh, building kingdoms, sometimes just personal kingdoms, you know, as opposed to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And it's how we're socialized. Most people are not socialized spiritually around unity. They're socialized around making my church better. They're silos. Yes, absolutely. So then is it is it in the hands of only the pastors of those churches to break up the silo? No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's the I personally feel like it's it's a effort for the body of Christ to take care of. And when I say body of Christ, local body of Christ, where someone gets enlightened and, you know, obviously relationships are important in the kingdom. That, you know, hey, listen, I should be able to come to you, Sammy, and say, look, you know, Sammy, man, I think, man, you might want to consider you know, thinking about opening your mind to um, fellowshipping with the church down the street. The Lutheran church. The Lutheran church yeah. or whatever. Or realize that, wait a minute, I have a brother here, man, that's, you know, he's he's uh, he's on fire for God, but he's an Episcopal. He doesn't right. believe in speaking in tongues. Right. You know, so um, uh, do, we, do we push speaking in tongues down his throat or do we just honor him where he is? You know, yeah. and then see how things go from there. So I think it's it's a body of Christ effort, and even those that are mature in the kingdom, uh, in a specific church, because there's people that have, have have pulled my coattail as the pastor. Say, Pastor, would you consider this? Yeah. Would you consider that? Yeah. And I think that's important too. Those that are mature, because those that are immature, they're going to follow. You know, they're just going to follow what they see. Right. And so the reality is, I believe that those that that are mature. Uh, and along with the pastor and other leadership, the, the group of leaders, uh, the body of leaders for specific uh, fellowship or whatever organization, whether Assemblies of God, whether Foursquare, whatever, you know, ha have, a, have a, a mandate, a responsibility, yeah. you know, to, to think about it from God's eyes. Unfortunately, uh, people that we as a body have become more concerned with our own understanding at times. And like when Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, you make 
you make you make the uh, your own understanding yeah. more important than the word of God. You right. know, it's like your 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 traditions don't line up with the word of God, but you're okay with that. Like, but no, that's not it. And I think that's what's happened that tradition and traditions have had a tendency to override what God's word has already said. But this is what I people. find interesting is it is it feels like to me it's going to be difficult to break up these mindsets. Yes. Because people go where their mindset is reinforced, typically. Yes. Uh, it's very rare that somebody loves the idea of going in a place that's going to take the way they think and turn it on its yes. head. Yes. That's just not a very attractive magnetism to it. It's, oh, I want to really be proven wrong today. Yeah. <laughs> where can I go? <laughs> so, proven wrong. Yeah. Like it. No, not many look for that daily. That's true. Well, and I, and I don't think that it's I don't think that it's it's necessarily something that's going to happen in that fashion. Be, just because of the point that people don't look for that. As a matter of fact, some people aren't even aware. They're not necessarily even aware of the the division. Not aware of the cultural divide. They're not aware of it. So what happened? What I believe is this: is that uh, first of all, uh, it has to be brought to the attention of those that have influence. Those that have influence need to have their attention brought to it. Now, I've had pastors that know the Word of God. And when I first started Unity Prayer in 19, 2008, 2009, 2008, 2009 in particular, yeah. I had pastors tell me, Pastor, I don't want to have nothing to do with unity. Thank you. I said, okay, dust, you know, shake the dust off, keep on stepping. But I couldn't believe that you know, they had no desire. I just said, I don't want to have nothing to do with unity. I like that phrase, shake the dust off. The Bible, keep on stepping. Keep on Modern st- language. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. Keep on stepping. Man. So that's what I did. But the point is that what I believe that because people are so rooted and grounded in their their beliefs, their feelings, personal beliefs, personal traditions, whatever, that it's going to take the power of God uh, and it's going to take uh, those of influence uh, to step out and demonstrate the benefit. Okay, demonstrate the benefit of unity, of breaking through, you know, my own tradition and culture that does not coincide and is not congruent with what God's word says. Yeah. Now, what I believe with that also, so I'm doing a series right now on the supernatural or the need for the supernatural, um, because the supernatural is a part of who we are. Right. He tells us in in First Corinthians 12, in uh, verse I think it's verse. Uh, Eight, I believe. I'm not sure. He says, uh, God placed some in the church, first apostles, secondly yep. prophets, thirdly teachers, yeah. then miracles. Yeah. That's the next office, yeah. miracles. Then he goes on in verse 28 and talks about, no, I'm sorry, that's in 28. But first he talks about miracles as right. something that's set in the church. Yeah. And so what I believe is like, I look at it in the same way, unfortunately, that I look at trying to witness to a Mormon or witness to a, 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 a watchtower, Jehovah's Witness. You're not going to debate with them and win them. Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. The way you're going to win them, they see the power of God. Yeah. They need to see something. They see God's power demonstrated. Not through intellect, but through encounter. Through encounter. Yeah. Absolute encounter. Yeah. Absolute. Yeah. And so what I believe is that that unity brings the power of God. I believe the unity demonstrate or uh, demonstrate there'll be a demonstration at some level whether it's the presence of God being so heavy that you start crying for no reason when yeah. you're together in that or uh, that because we're together at a certain point the miracles begin to happen people yeah. get healed eyes open the, the, the deaf hear the, yeah. the blind see the, the lame walk whatever that that in itself will be the the the, the substratum of what brings forth 
someone's asked, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That happened when they came together. That happened when they broke down the walls of division. Yeah. That happened when they put together, they, 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 they got away from which way you should be baptized, you know, and, yeah. and, and said, I don't care if you're baptized in Jesus' name or the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's power in As long together. as you hold them down. That's yeah, keep them under the water <laughs> for at least a half a second. Yeah, don't drown them, but at least a half a second. Yeah, that's the one that has to be. Yeah. You can't walk away from that. <clears throat> no. Keep them down long. Keep them down a bit. Yes, sir. But, so then my question would be, because, you know, in our church culture and community, like of, uh, we've had different, um, different subcultures that we've uh, allowed or created, whether it be Hispanic churches mm-hmm. or uh, throughout town where there's primarily African-American churches or Filipino <laughs> cultures and churches. Uh, how, does, how does that work towards or work against the <laughs> church unity? Well, it works totally against church unity. Okay. There's no, and, and I have some African-American pastors that are mad at me, you know, <laughs> no, no, because they, they honestly, they told me that I should have made Unity Prayer an African-American church organization. And they're mad at me. Interesting. Yeah, I said, well, guess what? Then they wouldn't be in the church. Is it possible that they, that there's are like a that's in conflict? Of course, it's, it's in conflict. Unity prayer that is only racial. Blacks. Yeah, or unity prayer that's only white. Unity prayer that's only Filipino. Right. So, so what? What I've said over and over again that, that there's no such thing as the black church. There's no such thing as the Filipino church. There's no such thing as the Mexican church. That is that's a, that's a figment of someone's imagination. Right. That is not biblical. The biblical church is the church that consists of anyone that believes in Jesus Christ. That's the church. The yeah. church is made up of all races, anyone, short, tall, fat, black, green, red, <laughs> as long as they believe in Jesus Christ, that's the church. Yeah. And so when you have, what happens is people have a tendency to be more comfortable hanging around people like them, is what it boils down to. Yeah. It's like, it's like going, and you go, when you go to work, sometimes the people that you more, you get, you have more in common with than other people. So you have a tendency to spend more time at your job connected with that person. You spend more time outside of the job yeah. with that person because you have yeah. things in common. Well, the idea is that as the church, the, our commonality is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it, it has to go beyond the fact that I'm more comfortable around black people or more comfortable around Filipino people, more comfortable around my Mexican brothers or whatever, that we, we, we that's what makes the body of Christ such a beautiful organization or a beautiful entity, the most powerful entity on the earth, is that it's made up of anybody who believes in Jesus. And so the, the, the cultures that segregate themselves into their own ethnicity and stay there and try to keep others out or don't have, have no desire to even fellowship with those of other races, other ethnicities, I believe it's sin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight up. I love what you just did. You went 100 miles per hour, and you said something really bold, and then you let it sit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I find that it's difficult to communicate to these things because I, I really understand why people have migrated to those comfort mm-hmm. zones. Mm-hmm. You said it, comfort zones. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I get it. I've even seen in my own life the, the areas of comfort I've longed to remain in. Mm-hmm. So I've looked at my own journey and gone, man, it's been difficult for me to step away from those. And so I, there's this understanding and this compassion to go, I, I see it for all in anything, especially when, when uh, I, like for, for the black church, if, I think if you've felt a certain degree of injustice for something, I, I can really understand that there would be the, the desire to shape something that is safe and is... 
uh, keeping out the perceived injustice, no matter what it, mm-hmm. it is, whether it be the Absolutely. black church or Hispanic culture, whatever the culture would be, the subculture would be that um, that remains uh, either isolated or remains just that entity. I think I've understood it, and I, I wonder how how are those places healed in church culture? Oh, now now you're taking it to another level. Yeah. Now that, see, that that's something that's generational. <clears throat> that's something that takes generations. We're not talking about something that's going to be healed tomorrow, or something that's going to be healed next year, or even ten years from now. Because when you have a history of suffering, a history of injustice, uh, it's it and that that happened over hundreds of years, maybe yeah. even thousands of years. Yeah. First of all, uh, I remember, um, I think her name was Laura Schlesinger. She was a, uh, a psychologist to be on, on radio. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No, it's not Laura Schlesinger. It's, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Steve Otterburn. Steve Otterburn. They have a book called Healing is a Choice. They have a book called Healing is a Choice. Now, you have those who want to harp on what happened, you know, thousand years ago, 400 years ago. Yeah. And guess what? It happened. Yeah. It's a reality, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and I'm all for, I mean, I'm, I've been, I can't tell you how often uh, I've been discriminated against as an African-American, even to this day, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> uh, but I took, I decided that I was going to take the high road and realize that I have to be a trailblazer. You know, I could very easily get angry and very easily say, well, you know what? You did something because I'm a black man. And you did. You know, and there's times I've had to even go there. However, my thing is this, is that uh, there's a scripture that I live by in Psalm 127. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman lays awake but in vain. So if God, if God doesn't build, I can do all kind of stuff. I can do all kind of things. I can invent or come up with all kind of, you know, uh, ingenuitive type advances to try to advance my cause. Yeah. But if God's not building, my labor's in vain. Interesting. If God's not the one behind it. So I, I want to get God's mind on anything that I do yeah. as it pertains to racism, injustice at any level. Uh, you know, you look look at the Jewish people. <clears throat> I'm a part of an organization called Kufa, which is Christians United for Israel. I mean, the Jews were treated really bad, you know, and it's like, but 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 Jewish people as a, have, as a whole have, have pushed forward you know, and you look at the businesses that they're on. You look at, you know, how they, as a people, you know, are looked at as successful at times, whatever. And so I look at it like uh, one of the things that I have to do, you know, and I believe that this would play into the mind of many. I think about Condoleezza Rice. I think about General Colin Powell. think about President Obama. Is that success even is the playing field. Success, real success. I'm a real estate appraiser by trade, and I'm, I'm the first African-American to ever receive the SRA designation in real estate appraiser in the history of the state of Nevada. Okay, so um, when I got my designation, you have to, there's a lot you have to go through yeah, to get it. It's yeah, like yeah. becoming a CPA as an accountant. Right. But you have to get reviewed by, you know, a board. So yeah. the, my last year review, they actually sent me, they, well, they didn't send me, they told me to go to Denver, Colorado, so that I wouldn't be blocked here because they didn't want nobody to block me here because they, they know I've been in no, no other African Americans here. So I had to go to Denver, Colorado to get my last year review mm. so that I wouldn't get blocked here because of being an African American. <clears throat> Which it was fine. I became an SRA. And there are people that um, looked at my appraisal work, they had no idea I was black until I showed up at their offices to meet them to meet them for the first time. And how my catch you, you can see like they jump back. You're black. But my work product my work product 
is top notch. Yeah. So all they knew was my work product was was the best. Yeah. They had no idea I was black. So what I believe is part of it, part of the healing process for an individual, because healing is a choice, that, that I want to be the best I can be in whatever I'm doing yeah. so that people look at me as a, a, a model of success, yeah. not just because I'm black, but because I'm good. Yeah. I tell people, don't use, don't, don't t- don't use my services because I'm black. Yeah. I don't need to be a part of affirmative action. Use my product or follow me because I'm the best. Right. Because if I'm the best, everybody loves one color, and that's green. <laughs> that, that's one color everybody knows. So if, if I'm the best and you can get the most green, or green becomes the most, you know, where you, you're, you're maximized sure. with green. Sure. Because you you're use, an asset. I'm an asset. Yeah. That's, the, that's the bottom yeah. line. So I think when it, but when you take that into the spiritual realm, <clears throat> It's, it's, it's incumbent upon leadership to begin to focus on what God said about it. Yeah. God saw slavery. African-Americans sustained themselves through Jesus in slavery. Yeah. Where do you think a lot of those hymns come from? Yeah. Those hymns come from the slaves who all they had to hold on to was Jesus. Yeah. You see? And so the idea is that I need to look at it from the same perspective that still all I have to hold on to is Jesus. I can't depend on the world. I can't depend on my job. I can't depend on anything else but Jesus. And so the idea is if I keep Jesus first and foremost, you can discriminate me if you want, but you can't be successful because if God before you, who can be against you? Right. And so the ultimate goal is to follow Scripture. And Scripture said there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female no bond, no free, but we are all one in Christ. Yeah. That's what the Scripture says. Yeah. So if I'm a Christian... I'm doing a study, well, I do, excuse me, I do teaching on emotional health because emotional health is probably at some levels as important as spiritual health because you'll never be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature. Yeah. I don't care how much word you know, how much tongues you speak in, how much you run around the church. If you're still emotionally immature, you're not going to be spiritually mature. But one of the concepts of emotional maturity is separating the secular from the sacred. And some people have a tendency to look at their secular life different from their s- spiritual or sacred life. And they have to be one. Yeah. You can't separate your spirit. Your, this is, well, this is my secular life. One time, when, years ago, I was counseling a guy about his life. He's like, man, but that's my personal life. Man, you, you, Pastor, you can't talk to me about my personal life. You can only talk to me about my spiritual life. I said, well, if, if they're not one, then you don't have a spiritual life. <laughs> if, if you're secular life, then you don't really have a spiritual life. You have a secular life. If, if you're saying, I can't talk to you yeah. about your... You know, your right. point is yeah. that people have a tendency to separate the secular from the sacred. And the reality is, is that if you're going to, you know, sit over here and, you know, and, and talk about, you know, your your um, uh, discrimination. OK, and it's it's alive and well. Trust me, it's alive and well. But who am I going to trust to deal with? It? Uh, interesting. Who am I going to trust to deal with it? Yeah. The Bible said, if God used Paul to speak that neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female one, uh, no bond nor free but one in Christ, God knows how to rectify it. Wow. God knows how to rectify it. So I put my trust in God to rectify because it's really personal. It's personal. Every there's, there's some African Americans that have not experienced as much racism as others. Right. Okay. There's some that have, oh I'm sorry. Let's even talk about Mexicans. Let's talk about Jews. Let's talk about Italians. Yeah. You know, let's talk about Peruvians. Let's talk about Bolivians. Because they all have experienced racism. You understand? So the fact that, that 
um, with all of those areas of racism that even have crept into the body of Christ, because there's a lot of racism in the body of Christ, yeah. um, that, that they have to learn to uh, understand what, what God has said on what's God's mind on the matter. Yeah. Okay, and let, let's focus on God's mind. And if we focus on God's mind, the healing will take place. Because once I spend time with, like, well, I was like, well, you know, Sam, you're like, you're pretty cool, dude, man. I never thought white guys could be that cool, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what the people used to say to me about basketball. I'm sure. <laughs> hey, Sam, you pretty good. Yeah, you I know got white game. people can play like that. You got that. game for white boy. White people can't jump, but you got game. Yeah, they basically thought I was Larry Bird. It's <laughs> <laughs> the one other white basketball player they knew. Yeah, like Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, he got it going on. You're tall, white, and goofy. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but that's okay, though, right? Yeah. Tall, white, goofy, but he's cool. Uh, so, I, I used to play into it. I used to hike the shorts up. Did you? I used to put goofy headbands on with long hair, <laughs> funny old shoes yeah, yeah 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 but you got the point oh yeah you, you got the principle yeah you know and so that's what i think <clears throat> where the healing is going to take place people have to make a conscious decision you know that i, I want to because some it's almost like some have a tendency in every area whether it's bolivian whether it's the italians whether it's the jews whether it's the blacks whatever you know that, that they want to they want to um, stay angry yeah they want to stay angry about it it's interesting because while I've been talking, while we've been talking about church culture, it's become clear to me that in many ways, for the most part, church culture is simply just a copy and paste of the attitude and sentiments of worldly culture. But we talk about Jesus in the room. <laughs> man, <laughs> it, oh man. Because it's hard to change culture, that's for sure. Because there's a lot to it in the customs and the attitudes and the things we celebrate and the things that we believe are achievements and money and all of these things and the recognition of the person. So I, I see these parallels between what needs to be healed in the, the body of Christ and then what needs to be healed in just people's bodies and mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. And they're the same trend. Exactly. The, the church is broken because people are broken. Yes. And I don't know what's a fair goal or expectation uh, for us to to perceive church culture should or could be fixed to this point. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what that fair expectation is. Um, I, I do believe there is absolutely like, this is the truth of it. Like there can be healing and all the, I believe in the power of God. I believe in encounter, but I also really feel like there's this, there's this embrace that's been really important for me that wherever people are at, even if it is in those places of, they're thinking silo. They're thinking yeah. divided. They're yes. thinking us and you. Even in those places, I've learned that it's been incredibly important for me to say yes and love to them as yes. well. Oh yeah. And that's been that's been a that's been a journey. For me to say yes to religious folks was a journey. <laughs> it really was a journey. Like growing up in the church, saying yeah. yes to a really religious person was like it was like I was punching myself in the face. It was a, it almost hurt my insides because it felt like there wasn't justice, mm -hmm. but you're really right that the road of healing is higher than the road. Okay. So I want to say it correctly. The road of healing does not require justice. Right. Right. It's great. I love justice, but you can be healed without justice. Absolutely. And that is a, a, an important thing I think to separate in all of this experience in church culture and something I've really loved about what you've represented in this city. And it's been a person that said, like, let's look towards these things that unite us and create a bond yes. amongst us. Yes. And let's celebrate them, put effort on them, prioritize them and champion them. And, uh, and that's why I wanted to have you on because it encourages me. Because when I'm like, man, this looks like it's a, 
this looks like the Jets trying to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Patriots fan, so I know how bad the Jets are. Oh, God. Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> we okay. just got division in the room. I'm just curious with the fact that the Patriots are, I mean, they're, they're a dynasty. Let's face it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm used to somebody saying, man, they're great, but boy, do they cheat. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, everybody cheats. Yeah, they cheated. You know, and Bill Belichick, I, I used to say I, I really I love Tom Brady because he was drafted in the sixth round. 199th pick. 199th pick. That's why I liked him. That, I mean, that's why I liked him. Yep. I mean, because I watched him play in college. You I watched the him in Michigan. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and, you know, he was he was okay. You know, um, He but, wasn't that good. He got benched for yeah. Drew Henson. Yeah, he did. He got, but, but he was something about him that, and I'm not going to stay on him too long, but let me say this, is that I remember when he got drafted, Right. It wasn't, it wasn't even a fact that he was going to make the team. And I remember him telling somebody, yeah, I told his agent, look, I'm going to buy a house here. And the agent's like, well, you probably need to make the team first. <laughs> he was like, man, I'm going to make the team. I mean, and it wasn't even he a, a – he just had that confidence, man. And there's something about him that I like. And I don't really like Belichick. You know, um, Belichick did something I don't like. <clears throat> there's an unwritten rule in the NFL. If you got a team down by 40 points, you don't keep trying to score. Yeah, you know it's just an unwritten rule. You just you just I don't do. do it. I love it. <laughs> what you do? I mean, college. No, different. as a Patriots fan, I love it. <clears throat> no, but that's because we're running up the score. I mean, you run, but that's okay. I mean, it's guess what? It's okay to a certain degree. But but the Patriots uh, back in when Joe Gibbs came out of retirement, it might, this happened to be my team. But they already had him down fifty three to six. You know, mm. and this is the NFL. You got all professionals. Yeah, there's just an unwritten rule. Yeah, that, I mean, I look at yeah. somebody just did that recently. I think it was um. Whoever it was had the, the Saints were beating somebody forty three to seven. Yeah, and they they got they got they just on fourth down and twenty, they just ran the ball, you know. And right. They could they could have kicked the field goal. Yeah, but why? You know the game's over. Yeah, you, know, you already got it down. That's just yeah. an unwritten rule. Yeah, Belichick decided to keep running up the score, <laughs> and I said that's not that's not professional. Yeah, it's not cool. But but he's in. It. But but there's a point that that you said that that I wanted to come back to that yeah. I thought was important. You made a major point. Um, uh, I look at 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 um when Paul uh, went on a vow. I remember he shaved his head and went on a vow. Mm-hmm. And all the brothers were like, Paul, what are you doing? You look better with hair, yeah. Yeah, you sure <laughs> look better with hair. But, but, but why are you going on a vow? We don't do that anymore. Yeah. And Paul said, I became all things to all people yeah. that I may win some of them. Yeah. And that always stuck out to me <clears throat> because here's the reality. You have to meet people where they are to bring them where they should be. Yeah. You, you can't <clears throat> be dogmatic and self-righteous, and my way is it, and you don't come to see it my way, you are, you know, you're a dog. Yeah. No, no, no. You have to reach out to people where they are. <clears throat> when, when, when someone is hurting, I deal with, with many of my brothers and sisters that are African-American all the time that are angry. Yeah. You know, and I meet them with, because guess what? I, I got I got stories to tell. Yeah. I got many stories to tell you about can, the racist. Oh, empathy. God, that yeah. it happened to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was a, down at, um, uh, uh, I was at the, um, Town, Village Square uh, Mall, Village Square where the um, um, the uh, movie theater is. Yeah, <clears throat> went into um, went in to get something, to eat at one of the little stores, and I stood there waiting. And another white lady just came up and said, "I need some water right now." And the guy he stopped stopped waiting on me and went and waited on her. Yeah, and we'd been there ten minutes. Yeah, and she just walked. I mean, just so we walked out. So yeah. I've had I've had many many. I've had time when I go to appraise somebody's house and they were looking like, "Where's the appraiser?" Who's standing Look at your that. Door. <laughs> Look so, at I mean, I just I could go on and on and on. No, for sure. <clears throat> so I understand it. You know, yeah. I understand it. So so the idea is that um wherever people are, 
Yeah. You know, you have to be compassionate to them yeah. where they are. Yeah. <laughs> because the teaching I'm doing on miracles, uh, this week I'm teaching on compassion. Because notice how many times the scripture says, and yeah. Jesus had compassion upon them yeah. and worked the miracle. Yeah. The miracles came out of the compassion. Yep. His compassion is what, pre- what caused him to work miracles. Yeah. And so we have to be compassionate to where people are. You can't ignore it. Because that's, I, we had a lady in our church that was, she had a bipolar disorder. She had multiple personality disorder. She had um, obsessive compulsive. She had all of them. And so she would, she would, she would, somebody's watching me. Somebody's watching me. I can't tell you how often we had to move her from one apartment to another because she's, wow. somebody's watching me. And then one time we, we, got her to believe, we got her to say, sister, I ain't gonna say her name, but sister, you know, remember last time we realized nobody was out there. She said, yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay, I got it now. So she's good. So, Pastor, they're watching me again. Yeah, I said, remember last time? Remember last time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was last time, but now they're back. Yeah. You know? And so guess what? To her, it was real. Yeah. And, and to not to minister to that yeah. would be not to be loving her. Yeah. Because she had a disorder. Yeah, meet her there. You had, you had yeah. to, we had to meet her right there, yeah. you know, lest she felt you know, abandoned. You know? That, that is what's, I think, really beautiful for our church culture, and that I see you and I see many people like you in the city do, and that you don't just set the standard over here and say, hey, you should all be over here. But I see you you becoming a, and continuing to be a symbol of we move towards different church expressions. We move towards different leaders and pastors. Yes. And in difference, we move towards you. Yes. I think that's really beautiful. And we've got to wrap up our time oh. here. But I want, to, I want to thank you because we really do honor, respect, and love um, your effort in the city, your effort with pastors and leaders and churches and and uh, it's beautiful, and, and, and I, I know I could speak for myself, and we've talked about it, um, but I really do lend towards your confidence over church unity. Amen. I really do, because you've got more than I do. And I have it, but you have it in spades. Oh, well. If that make, does that make sense? Yeah, I think, yeah. It's just something God did, that's all. No, for sure, and yeah. there's a grace on you for it. Yes. And so when I look to the, when I honor the point, and I honor the lead on it. I'm saying, like, I, I value the strength you have on it. I value the the value you put on it. Mm-hmm. And um, and, uh, it, and, it, and it looks like a really big hill to climb for me. And sometimes <laughs> I go, boy, is that worth our time right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure everyone in the city asks. I'm sure you've asked yourself that a hundred times every week. And um, But I want you to know that it's, it's valuable because you're looking. I'm a 31-year-old pastor, and you're looking at your life has been a seed of hopefulness for this thing. And, uh, and I, I value it tremendously. I wanted to thank you. For sure, I wanted to thank you today and tell you really, really appreciate you, really honor the work you've done. And it's impacted me, uh, and I know it's impacted many other people. So I love you, Pastor Mike. Well, look, man, I love you guys too, man, you and your dad. I mean, your your yeah. father's been you know, pioneering this city. Oh, absolutely. You, you're pioneering this city, man, and just what you guys have done. I was actually speaking about you this morning. You don't remember... About maybe 13 years ago, your dad was speaking at uh, over at the Dream Center, and he had you speak before him. And you, you spoke about uh, Isaiah and turning his back to the wall. And, I mean, you had your back turned, and you ministered to everybody who was on their face. You don't remember that, but the anointing is on your life when you were, at a, you were, I think, 15 or 16 at that point. And you got up and spoke, and just the way God used you, it had, I mean, had, past, had me crying, had others in tears. Cool. And so we just honor what God has done through you and what you guys have done as, as ICOV for the whole city as a whole. So it's just admiration for each other. So God bless you. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Awesome. Well, that's it for this podcast. Uh, be sure to rate. 
rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you're amazing. You can get in touch with us. You can visit us at our website, pmtnchurch.com. Till next time, you're amazing.